0: Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited about today. We're kicking off a brand new series, A Better Rhythm. You know, we just go, 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 go. We know this. It's just too fast. Our rhythm is really rolling by. But rhythm is so important. Here, here's what rhythm is defined by, that indispensable element of music. Like, you can have music without melody, but you can't have it without rhythm. Rhythm. Plato said this about rhythm. He said, it's a movement. It's a movement. Are you moving too fast? Most people say, yes, I'm moving way too fast. You know what? UPS, United Parcel Service ruined my rhythm, completely destroyed it. I worked for UPS straight out of college. I was a young guy and I go into this company, UPS, I'm a package car driver for them. And there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of demeaning from the supervisors. Most of them were like they had been in their life at some point a sergeant in the military or something like that they were like yeah it's just so it was really had that tone of it and so much of it was competition and if you made a mistake man they got you and everything was measured on the seconds so for my first 45 days which they called qualifying i did not drink i did not eat and i did not go to the bathroom for 12 hours a day i just ran 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 because it was a competition can you qualify At the end of the day, it would spit out this sheet about how you did in comparison to all the other drivers, and it went up on the board the next morning, and there was your name and how you did, and I tell you what, I loved it because it was a competition, but it ruined my rhythm because everything was measured by the seconds. I was looking at my watch constantly, like every 15 seconds, watch, watch, and I got into this rhythm of speed. I had this need for constant speed and it just began to mess with the rest of my life and I needed a better rhythm. You know, these old-fashioned devices that we have, they're called metronomes, you know? I, we don't use the me- the old-fashioned metronomes anymore, but the metronomes that click, click. I did piano, you know, way back when, when I was a kid. And I can remember that metronome sitting up on the piano, the piano teacher's trying to help me get rhythm, click, click, back and forth. I think I only had one session piano you know, teacher said, hey, uh, you don't have any rhythm. I don't know what you're going to be good at, but you're not going to be good at music, so please get out. I pulled up this YouTube video, and it actually, on it, it said, warning, because it was going to give you 600 beats a minute on a metronome. It said, warning, this might stress you out. And I played it, and sure enough, stressed me out. Well, that's Washingtonians. That's Americans. Like, we have this internal clock because... Everything goes so fast now that we always feel this need for speed and it kind of messes us up a little bit. So that's what this series is about. How can we get to a more sustainable rhythm to where we can find contentment? There is something that is driving us. I know when we talk about rhythm, we'll just say no, just say no to this, just say no to that, you know, set your boundaries, don't do everything, but then we fall right back into that fast rhythm rhythm. That is bringing so much discontentment to our lives. There is something deeper driving us, and that's what we'd like to get into today. How do we find a better rhythm? And I can't think of any better place to turn to than the book of Ecclesiastes. It's got to be the greatest philosophy ever written in the history of the world, at least to me, at least to me. It is fantastic, and I would like to read you some very important verses from the book of Ecclesiastes ecclesiastes chapter one this is how the whole thing starts meaningless meaningless says the teacher i mean can you get more depressing than that (laughs) this guy is totally out of rhythm utterly meaningless everything is meaningless what do people gain for all their labor all their work at which they toil notice this i'll explain in a minute under the sun under the sun, verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seen, nor the ear of hearing. What is that saying? Rolling stones. I can't get no satisfaction. We're never filled up. This is something we know that is completely true about Humanity. Now, let's jump to verse number 12. You'll see a pattern going on here, which is what is driving the problem. Ready? See if you don't pick up on it. Verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done. Where? Under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done. Where? Under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So let me explain two things. First of all, under the sun, and then a chasing after the wind. And then what is this pattern that we see there? First of all, under the sun. The sun is God's word. The sun is the first five books of the Bible. That's what it's referring to. Some people call it the Pentateuch. Some people call it the five books of Moses. Some people call it the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible, and that is the Sun. So underneath, if you're not thinking about the wisdom of God's word, the instruction, the revelation of God's word, if you're just living all on your own without that, you're going to find a lot of meaninglessness. And then it says a chasing after the wind, which comes up constantly. A chasing after the Hebrew word ruach. Same word that we get spirit. Same word that we get brain or mind or heart. Here, it's referring to chasing after desires, instinct, impulse. What do I want to instinctively do? Well, what do I want to do? I think I want to accumulate a lot of stuff. I think that I want to build bigger and better and have more money. This is what's being spoken of here. Now, did you get the pattern? This is the highest concentration in the entire Bible of eyes and my's. Check it out, verse 16. I said to myself, Look, I, once again, have increased in wisdom more than anyone. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. So I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. I tried to cheer myself with wine. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet... When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun, so I hated life. Here are the top three things that we're stressed about right now. And it's not just right now. I looked up on Google and it said years ago, same thing. And years ago, same thing. That we are continuously stressed about. And when we're stressed about, we're hurrying scurrying around. We're dissatisfied. We're discontent. It's driving us. And what is that? Number one is money. And it's like way up here, money. And then drop, 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 drop drop down. Number two, number three is work and personal relationships. I want to talk about work this week and personal relationships next week. Today is your work. Next week is your person. But since money is so way up there, I've got to at least say something about it. We can't seem to get satisfied with money. That's what the Bible is saying right here. I got all kinds of money. i mass silver and gold, but I'm not satisfied. There's a gift from God. This gift is to be satisfied with their money. So I want to say something. Uh it's it's kind of a tender topic. I want to talk about tithing for a second. Not tipping God. Tipping God is different. Where you kind of just throw God a, you know, a one or a two or a five or a 10. Tithing is where you give 10% of your income to God. And I know it's really sensitive because a lot of people like me, preachers like me has really abused this great biblical truth about tithing. So If you want to get upset and mad because this person said that, I'll agree with you. Because yes, people have said foolish, ridiculous, empty things. Give and you're going to get and all this kind of stuff like this. But it is true that if you'll trust God with your tithe. Matter of fact, I tell my kids this. I tell them, number one, never not tithe. You want to break this dissatisfaction and a fear over money. Tithing is going to do that. As you trust God with it, all over the scripture, it says that we're to trust God. But in Malachi chapter three, where it talks about tithing, it says we can test God. Only place in the scripture we can test God. And I tell you what, I wouldn't even bring this up now, except for the fact that I have heard so many stories over my years in ministry of people saying, man, I was so afraid to tithe. I thought it was stupid. I thought it was ridiculous. And then I did it. I gave 10% of my income to God and stuff just started happening. There it is. Stuff just started happening. So I tell my kids, number one, never not tithe. Because the gift of being satisfied with what you have is an amazing gift. We suffer in America with abundance and we're abundantly dissatisfied with what we have, even though we have so much. Number two, I tell my kids, never not pray when you tithe. Pray. Matter of fact, I say, just get the Bible out. Malachi chapter three, read those verses six to 10, right? And say, God, I am trusting and testing you with this, that you'll open up the, as it says, the floodgates of heaven and that you will fill my life to overflowing satisfaction and joy. So I don't. This is not about money today. I, and I'll say this, and I say this all the time. If you've been around a long time, you've heard me say this a million times, okay? If you think I'm just trying to get you to give money to grace, then email me and I'll tell you other churches that you can know and trust and just go ahead and give your tithe to that other church. I would rather you experience the power of breaking the dissatisfaction and the fear that goes along with money than for you to give money to grace. I'm dead serious about that, okay? What? You got to experience this. And I bring this up today since money is so far up there. Now, here's what I really want to talk about. I want to talk about today your work. I want to talk about meaning, finding meaning in life through your work. You don't need the perfect job. You need the perfect perspective. Many of us are looking for the perfect job. And instead, what we need is we need the perfect perspective because there is no perfect job out there. A few months ago, when I was talking to Dr. Lemke, who helped us along in our addiction series, she said something that was really important. She said, far too often, particularly with people in their 20s and 30s, we're running around looking for that perfect job, something that's going to bring us satisfaction. That's not going to bring us satisfaction. A perfect perspective is what is going to bring us satisfaction. Now, I want to show you something. That's super important here. Atomic Habits, written by James Clear. Oh my gosh, he he just best-selling book, notoriety. Matter of fact, I was reading a list of a guy said the top 20 books that he would read his entire lifetime. Atomic Habits was on it. I'm like, whoa, are you serious? It was that important? Here's what Clear says. Most of the time, if you look at it as a circle, as you see that's on the screen right now, we start on the outside with habits or outcomes. And instead, what we need to start is on the inside with our identity. Our identity is the story that we are telling ourselves. What are you telling yourself? What story are you constantly telling yourself? He says our identity is going to come from the story that we repeatedly tell ourselves. The Bible is telling us a story about ourselves. What story are you telling yourself? Here's the incredible thing about the Bible. Right at the start, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, they're telling us the fundamental things about our story, our work and our person, our mission, our mate. The quality of our relationships determine the quality of our life. That's next week. We'll talk about relationships and all that. Today I want to talk about purpose. It says we're created in the image of God. What does that mean? Genesis chapter 1. This is the way it says it. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, in the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give her every green plant for food. Here it is. Here is how you find purpose in your work. You want a perfect job, you won't get it, but you can get a perfect perspective. And God tells us right here in the beginning, you're created in his image. What has God been doing? So at the end of chapter one, Over and over again, you're creating his image in his likeness. Well, what has God been doing before that? God's been creating. You are a creator. But you're not any creator. You are to create meaning. Your brain seeks meaning. And how do you create meaning through your work? You don't do it for yourself. You do it for others. What's interesting right here is that the very last thing I read, it says, I'm giving you humanity all the food. But by the way, by the way, Animals need food too, and you should share, ruler, food with the animals. How many times we tell a little kid, share, learn to share. So right there, it's not all about you. It's also about others. What is your identity? Your identity is to work. Work what? Work a job that has meaning. You have to find meaning in every job that you do. How do you think about others? Do you think about title? Do you think about paycheck? Those things are really important. Do you think about the culture at work? All of them are important, but above, way above all those things. And the perfect job is to have the perfect perspective. How am I making the world a better place for other people? Because that's exactly what God did. So in Genesis chapter one, and I was told this so much of my life, the story of creation in Genesis, just like every other story, but that's not true. It's strikingly different. Every story that we have of creation are the gods who are selfish and create something for themselves. Genesis chapter 1 tells us the story of God creating something for you and for me. That God is not selfish. He is selfless. He's creating meaning by doing that. So how can you, how can you, and even if you have a hard time with this, talk to people that you know and say, my job is X, Y, or Z. How can I turn my perspective and create meaning for other people through my job? Until you change to having that God-given perspective of your work, until you A, have a job, and B, have the perspective, God's perspective on it, you will forever be dissatisfied. You will never find the job that you're looking for. We must create meaning. You're a creator, and you are called to create meaning. Now, there's a story in Genesis chapter 11 about building a great project. We're all building great projects with our lives. We're all like like the philosopher Ecclesiastes, doing all this stuff, amassing stuff, amassing titles, amassing fortunes, trying to do this, trying to make our place in the world, hurrying and scurrying around. They were building this huge building, the biggest monument there was. And it says, but they were doing it to make a name for themselves. And it imploded. That's how our lives are imploding. We are hurrying and scurrying around. We're nervous and scared being driven by something, being driven by an identity because it's all about us. And until you turn that outside, just like God did, created in God's image, until you see that you're a creator and a creator of meaning, you will never be fully satisfied or content. You will be just like the ear never has enough hearing, the eye never has enough seeing, just like the philosopher says. That will be you until you can take a look at your job and say, I must have the perfect perspective on my job. So clear says it goes from identity at the center, and then there's a process, and then there's the outcome, the habits. Here's the thing. The identity is you're a creator to create meaning for other people, not for yourself, not for others, not to make a bunch of money, not to not to acquire a bunch of stuff, possessions. We have too much stuff. We do too much stuff, all those things. Nope, that's not the starting point. I'm not saying that's bad. It's not the starting point. But it's got to start with being in the image of God, to be a creator, to be a creator of meaning for other people. What's the process? The process is going from me to we. And then finally you hit the outcome. And what Clear says is on the outside, those habits, those outcomes are votes. They're votes toward an identity of who you are. You are choosing with your habits to vote for the identity. And that identity has to keep recurring, repeating over and over and over and over again. And that's why we have, right at the start of the Bible, your work, your work with a purpose. Now, I'd like to uh, read to you something from... um, One of the final, one of the final great speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King. He spoke this speech in 1967 at a middle school in Philadelphia. It's known as, and I'll just read an excerpt, it's known as the Street Sweeper Speech. Dr. King, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, go on out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Handel and Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. There will be a day. And the question won't be, how many awards did you get in life? Not that day. It won't be. How popular were you in your social setting? That won't be the question that day. It will not ask how many degrees you've been able to get. The question that day will not be concerned with whether you are a PhD or a no D. It will not be concerned with whether you went to Morehouse or whether you went to no house. The question that day will not be how beautiful is your house. The question that day will not be how much money did you accumulate. How much Did you have in stocks and bonds? The question that day will not be, what kind of automobile did you have? On that day, the question will be, what did you do for others? You're a creator. That's who you are. That's where your story begins, Genesis chapter 1. But you're a creator of meaning. Quit seeking the perfect job and instead, because the perfect job doesn't exist... And you take your perspective everywhere you go. And instead, look for the perfect perspective. That's the path to satisfaction. That's the path to contentment. That's the path to meaning and purpose that you want. Take on God's perspective created in his image. He's a creator and he makes meaning. Take the journey from me to we. Make the world a better place. So next week, we're going to talk about your person. You are a lover. That's what we're going to get into next week. But this week, we want to pray. And we want to pray that God would help us to have his perspective on work. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much um, that you tell us right off the bat something that's so important to us. We must make meaning. Help us to gain your perspective on our work. In Christ's name, amen.